Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Gav Gillibrand with us here today, who is a fitness and nutrition expert that specializes in helping busy men and women lose 20 pounds or more than 12 weeks or less without cutting out carbs and other fun stuff from their lives. From a TV appearance on Blind Date in 1993 to a distinguished career as a male review artist, aka a male stripper. I've never heard distinguished career with male stripper in the same sentence, Gav. Well, I'm curious to hear about this. Traveling all over the UK and Europe, Gav went on to become one of the UK's most successful online health and fitness coaches, having helped hundreds of clients in the last 15 years to health and weight loss success. His techniques have helped people lose body fat with ease, increase their energy, improve their health, and give them the weight loss goals that they have always wanted. Finally, his unique take on fat loss has led him to building a community of 33,000 plus followers on LinkedIn, where he inspires them each day with content that is fun, informative, and unique. Gav, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here with us today. Uh, my pleasure, Jesse. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me on the show. Absolutely, man. You know, I have to tell you, so I think we had shared in a previous conversation, I was in, used to be in the fitness industry, and I've you know, read tons of bios about weight loss and the techniques that we use, but I, it, they gave new meaning when I'm reading it from, I'm transitioning from distinguished careers and those stripper, and then the increased energy no. techniques that yeah, are used. Dis- distinguished and male stripper, they don't normally go hand in hand. And I'll be honest, um, although it was a great period of my life, that line is totally tongue in cheek. And I put that in on purpose because there's nothing distinguished about getting naked for money for the best part of two decades. However, I've got some amazing stories. We probably haven't got time to cover all of them, but it was a great period of my life. And, you know, what I'm doing now is kind of what I was meant to do when I did my degree in sports and exercise science, but I had a sort of 16, 17 year hiatus if you will but if it wasn't because of that I wouldn't be doing what I am now so it's been a big part in getting me to where I am now but just because of experiences life um, learning about people and realizing what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do mm. I, I imagine too just in, in a field like that Gav too it probably because my my outside assumption of that industry is it's such a it's an industry that is really physicality, body look, image, health, vitality are really essential parts of it. I'm imagining like going through that period of life, it, does it give you a deeper appreciation for maintaining health, maintaining vitality, taking care of yourself now? Well, I think most of the guys and girls to a certain extent, although the industries are very, very different from male and female, and that's another conversation for another time, most of the guys tend to be either come from a personal training background because they just happen to be in shape or um, very often after they finish that career, if it becomes a career, and for a lot of the guys it does, move into the personal training space. For me, it was a bit of both really. I think I started very quite early. It was 18, 19. Um, I'd already decided to go to, to university to do sports and exercise science. Didn't know anything about this industry at all. Um, I was in shape. I thought I could do it. Started off as a part-time gig. Um, came out of university, and there's a story behind that. And um, what actually happened? Um, you mentioned the, in the the intro, the the TV show Blind Day. It was 
back in 93, the late 80s, early 90s, it was probably the number one TV show in the UK at the time. Bearing in mind, we only had three or four channels back then with nothing like America, <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm not even joking. There was four channels back then. Um, so everyone was watching ITV on a Saturday night. And you probably... It might have been called something else. I know you had a version of Blind Date where there's a girl and a screen. She asks three questions to the yep, guy. We had Blind she, Date. Yep. Oh, called Blind Date. Okay, yep. cool. Um, it was hosted by a great lady. She's dead now, unfortunately, called Scylla Black. Um, she was huge in the UK. Anyway, long story short, I was working part-time as a fitness instructor in the year up. I'd taken the year out from my exams get a bit of experience in the industry with a view to doing sports and exercise science at university. I was working part-time in the gym, 18 years old, and I saw this advert. Someone had pinned it up in the staff, in the staff room on the staff notice board. It said auditions for blind date. And I'm straight away I was like, I need to do that. I can do that. I, you know, I'm into I can get on that show. I just knew I would get on. But when I went to the audition, and there was three auditions you had to go through over a period of weeks, you Came, did the one, came back if you were selected, and then finally through. I said to myself, how can I ensure that I get on TV? So I, I told a small white lie. I told him I was a stripper. It's a true story. And the reason I say it was a small white lie is because six weeks pr prior to that very first audition, I'd been for an audition to be a stripper. Um, but I hadn't actually had a gig. I'd gone to this office, met this woman. She said, take your clothes off. I was standing there in my underpants. She said, can you dance? I did a few moves, put some music on. She said, right, you've got the job. True story. Never, never forget it. Late 1992. Um, so when I went to the audition, I thought, mm, okay, what do I need to tell them? To tell them anything to get on TV? I told them I was a stripper. And they obviously lapped it up. I sailed through all the auditions. And this is early 90s, no email, got the letter. Remember those things? The letter came through the post. Dear Gav, you've been selected to go on TV show. I was like, yeah, I can't believe it. So got, I won the show, got picked. Um, but then went straight to uni, literally within about three or four months of the show going on TV. Um, kept doing, in the meantime, had started doing the strips. I, I know you guys... We would call it like a hen party. You guys call it a bachelorette party. So you guy would turn up to, you know, event or a party or an occasion dressed as a fireman or as a, a policeman or the officer and a gentleman was very popular back in the 80s and the 90s. You know, the, the Richard Gere, you know, the, yeah. the white uniform. Turn up, do 10 minutes. And so I started doing this every weekend. I would maybe do three, four, sometimes five gigs. And I remember back then, even then, it was like 150 bucks per gig so when you're 18 19 if you're doing five or six of them in a week cash in hand it was a great thing to get into carried this part-time thing at the weekends on a university did three years of uni and then another true story two weeks before i'm about to graduate i had to hand in a 10,000 word dissertation and when I say hand it in, I had to start it. There was two weeks left. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been so lazy. I need to start and finish this 10,000 words now. And a friend of mine who, in the meantime, had started working with probably the UK's equivalent to the Chippendales, he called me up and he said, Gav, we've, we're, we're one guy short. I know you're about to graduate. You're the man for this. We've got a 12-week tour kicking off in Belgium all around Europe. 
the money's good, stadiums, clubs, it's five gigs a week for 12 weeks. I was totally seduced by it. I said, when do you need to know by? He said, by the end of today. I went, fuck it, I'm in. <laughs> and I dropped my degree. So mum and dad, if you're ever watching this or you hear this, I apologise. I didn't go back and do my degree or get my dissertation. So I've got a bog standard degree and not honours. Um, so that was a true story. And that was the start of, so I was age 23, 24, and it became a full-time career until the age of 37. Like I, I couldn't give it up. I couldn't, I got to 30. I said, I need to quit. I need to go and use my brain instead of everything else. I couldn't, I got to 35. I said, right, this is it. Moved to London. And that was the, that was the, the change, you know, that brief, well, I say brief, it was quite a long high. I just got back into personal training, nutrition, fitness, full time at the age of 35, but didn't, still didn't even quit the stripping. Carried on for another two years, part-time, age 37, which is now 10 years ago, um, quit that. The baby all went back into the bathroom cabinet, hung the string up, got rid of all my kit. And it's the, the last 10 years has been, you know, full-time in the personal training, coaching, fitness, nutrition industry. So there's the story. There's the last 25 years condensed into about seven or eight minutes. Oh, Gav, I love that. So I, I have to ask a couple of fun questions off that. You just offered up so much there. And then I want to make sure we focus on nutrition and health. So the first question is that you said, you know, fireman, police officer, officer, and gentleman was quite popular. Now I'm imagining back in this time, there's not a website where you can go and you're customizing it. So how, how did you know what to dress up as? Are these, are the ladies calling up and saying, what we'd really love is we want the Richard Gere treatment. Well, bear, bear, bear in mind, um, do you have the yellow pages in America? Or is the equivalent to yeah, yellow pages? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we don't have that anymore. You know, the old phone book. So yeah. this is how people book back then. This is pre-internet. So they would look in the yellow pages and stripograms, call the guy. And I was registered with about five or six different agencies. And I would get a call on usually Wednesday or Thursday when the bookings start coming in. I would literally get four or five bookings on a night from different agents. And I would back then no sat nav. So it was literally in a car with a map. Okay, I've got to go to that bar in that town and drive sometimes an hour to the next one. Then it was back there. And it was really old school. And this is I think we'd only just got mobile phones. So, wow. you know, and texting was was amazing. I remember when you got your first text, it was like, oh, my God, you know. So it was very old school, but it worked. Um, so it literally just the girls would call up and say, yeah, we want to book a fireman. And um, but I let you into a secret. It was very for the first year, I would give the girls what they wanted. I would take three or four costumes with me. But it was so tiring, like being in a fireman to one, then you'd have to literally 40 minutes to the next one, get ready into a policeman. So what I would do, and I hold my hand up and I apologize to the girls 20 years later, I would go out as a fireman and only do fireman regardless of what they wanted. And what I would say is I'd get to the next gig and say, oh, I'm sorry, but my costume got ripped at the previous gig. Look, is a fireman okay? And they would say, yeah, yeah it's fine. Because they were just nervous that the guy would show up. You know, it wasn't, there was no booking form. It was just a, a phone call. There was no, and it was all, you know, it was trust both ways. Because I would turn up, get the cash in hand, literally before the gig, go back to my car, give the DJ, sometimes it was tape, it was even tape, and then maybe CD. Wow. You would put the music on, it was CD, it was no digital. So I remember walking in and 
hand in the DJ, my CD, said, just play this, like, and he would signal from the door, you'd walk in, boom, do 10 minutes, say bye to the girls, and off you go to literally jump in the car with your kit onto the next gig. So I look back and it was, it was, it was crazy times, but you know, great fun. And that was the sort of the part-time thing. Once I left university and it became really serious. It was, when I say serious, it was, it was big business. It was, that was just the, this bachelorette party. But we used to go to Germany for like five weeks at a time and do 30 gigs, five guys. Wow. In a minibus touring around every major city in Germany, sometimes 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 girls in a club. It was big business. You know, they were putting these shows out for, you know, $20,000 per night. Wow. You know, it, would be, it became a proper business. So the guys could actually live full time on, you know, these tours. And we would do th uh, five week tours three times a year to Germany. Great fun. You can see why I was very reluctant to stop. But I thought, you know, I'm, I need to start using the great thing with this. I always knew that if it collapsed at any time, I could get back into what I had my degree in and what I had been doing throughout the whole of this time, all up until the age of 35. I've been doing different um, qualifications in um, personal training, weight training, nutrition, um, aerobics, circuit training. I literally got covered with, with the view that the bubble was going to burst one day. Mm. I kind of hoped the bubble wouldn't burst. You know, I was also yeah. doing little bits of TV, a couple of films, very small, you know, minor roles, few words on TV, commercials, acting job. I'm thinking one of these days I'm going to get spotted. Obviously, deep down, I knew that was never going to happen. Um, so age 35, I literally, with my tail between my legs, I was like, oh, OK, I'm going to have to go and work for a living now. But it was a nice it, first six months. It was quite a hard transition. I was like, now I'm having to work for a living where, you know, it, it, but looking back, it was the best move and it was the right move at the time. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to get any older, you know, and I'm, I mean this with the most respect. There are some of the guys that are my age now and then mid forties that are still doing it. Cause they're like, I can't give this up. Um, and I didn't want to be that guy. I always knew that when the transition was time, um, I would have no problems getting back into what I was trained to do. Um, mm. And here we are. Do you feel like that, that helped you? And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you feel like that helped you enjoy that experience more because you knew you knew that you could you could you could do the experience have that as a career but you always had you always it sounds like you always had a plan too and not even a plan too you always had like a, a an, an ultimate plan something to go towards the, the, the backup plan yeah um, it, it's a good question but i don't actually know whether i was conscious of that thought hmm. and thinking about it now i never thought if all if all goes wrong i could get into this because i was enjoying it so much and um, no, I was never, I wasn't actually conscious, but maybe it did. Maybe it did allow me to, but I took it very serious. As I said, it was, um, it was, it, it wasn't hard work. It was fun. It was great. Um, you couldn't really rely on it. And I knew that there was no security. Um, and the mindset around it was very, do a job, get paid, very cash in hand. Everything was cash. So a lot of it was off the book. So it was never going to be 
a big career in a long time. But I honestly can't believe, I can't think that I was actually conscious of what you just said there. But it's a good question. Maybe I was, maybe subconsciously I enjoyed it more because I knew that I had this backup. I, there was a couple of times throughout the experience of you know, that 17 years where a lot of people would judge you, particularly women, like you would turn up to a gig and they would, I know that the way they spoke to me, they probably just thought, ah, he's just a stupid old stripper, you know? But that didn't offend me. That actually made me smile um, because I used to think to myself, well, you can think what you want, you know, I'm having great fun and the money's good, but I've got a degree and I'm probably going to do my master's in nutrition one day, you know? So it made me smile inside. And yeah. I learned a lot about how people judge people on, on, on the surface. And we all do, let's be honest, we all do. Um, but it did sometimes some of the, the way that even some of the, the guys that would book the guys would speak to us with a little bit of disrespect. And it used to offend some of the other guys. I would just brush it off and think, yeah, you don't know. One day I'm going to do what I want to do. So, you know, Gav, one more question. I want to transition to the nutrition, yeah. but this, this just popped up to me. I, so the Olympics are going on right now. And mm. at the time of this recording and I mentioned that because one of the things you'll hear in stories of athletes or anybody who is any, any sort of achieves anything significant in life or who lives in extremes of life, there's this, some of them will really struggle to readjust to normalcy after that. There was a study that was done when the first astronauts started returning from space and talking yeah. about astronauts having depression because they were like, well, I, I've literally been to space. How do I come back down to earth? And and what the hell do you do after that? What do you do yeah. after you've been to the moon? Yeah, I, I get exactly. it. And so I'm wondering for you, having such a chunk of your life in such an extreme where you're, you're in the club, you're the center of attention, you have all these different people, you have all these different like social interactions on extreme. When you made that transition back to, or made the transition to, you know, quote unquote, what we'd consider a more normal life. Normal life, yeah. yeah did you find that you struggled at all trying to relate to people or? Yeah, or... yeah absolutely. And I, it's, a, it's a brilliant point. And I've actually made uh, a few videos around this. And I've said about, you know, the, the moon guys, they really struggle. And, and as you said, a lot of professional athletes. Um, and on a smaller scale, although relevant to the lads, this was many of the guys' moonshots. And I mean this with the most respect to a lot of the guys if they've ever listened to this. This is not meant to offend them. But like I said, I was one of the few guys that had a degree and was pretty well educated with a view that I could do anything I wanted. Now, and I'm, again, I mean this with the most respect, a lot of them were very working class lads that this became their massive break. Mm. So, and... Being a stripper, as you can imagine, you're put on a pedestal in a very unnatural way, like particularly from the females. They think you're oh, yeah, highly sexualized, to, yeah, highly sexualized. But to come back to that into normal life, a lot of the guys really struggled. And I, I, there was one time and I, I, it just came to my head as he said this. This is a true story. And there was me and my two best friends at the time, a guy called Tom Dyer and Mark Skipper. Tom Dyer and... Um, uh, John Hewitt, sorry, is a different different story. And we actually went out to a club on New Year's Eve in the middle of it all, uh, probably halfway through that 17 years, in a non-stripping environment. It was a Saturday night, went out clubbing, and we didn't speak to a single girl all night. And we were like, we couldn't work it out. And then after a while, you know, I think Tom said to me, you know what it is? I, I said, what? He goes... We've got our clothes on. 
and it was almost huh. we were we were suddenly back to being normal we were just on the same level as every other guy in the club like there's there's hundreds of guys that have got you know good bodies are good looking have got everything going for them but we we had been taken off that almost false pedestal like our normal saturday night was turning up to a club where 500 girls, 1,000 girls, 2,000 girls knew we were turning up. And we used to walk into the club and the girls in the crowd would be going ballistic walking as we walked to the changing rooms. To now take that away and us just be normal guys, it was almost like we've got no chat. We didn't have any chat. We, we had to relearn how to be wow. normal. And that is actually a real phenomenon. So that was just on a... Uh, uh, a level within it and we knew that probably next week we were back to normal again and it was but to take that away full stop i know some of the guys have, have really struggled and had to go back to you know maybe working in the factory maybe driving a taxi maybe working some type of menial job not there's any just anything wrong with that but just a big step down mentally and financially to what they were doing when they were doing the shows and taking us all around Europe. So um, I never ex or kind of experienced it at the end when I actually decided to move to London, and get back into personal training, because I very quickly, although mentally I thought I'd still like to be doing this. When I quit, I was actually really ready for it. I was like, I'm 35. I've had the best 20, 15, 17 years of my life. I can't look back on that and say you know it was amazing now it's the next chapter of my life and very quickly i was ready to be able to recreate that i guess that validation and certainly the finances in what i was doing but maybe if there hadn't been that validation um and maybe there'd have been a huge drop off in in income i would have experienced it more you know you said something too i think that's it's worth just noting is there's the power of decision right like you it sounds like you made that you're making that decision to transition and where some of your friends who who were at uh, doing it at that time as you were and who might still be doing it they didn't necessarily decide it felt like it sounded like more maybe life circumstances might have forced them out they aged out they started to, yeah you know they didn't have the the same muscle definition as some of the younger guys coming up. Yeah, is it, it right? And I think, and you, you, and this is maybe a good transition to go into fitness because, uh, you know, I, I remember when I would work with clients, there was a big difference between the ones who were deciding to lose their goal, to meet their goals versus the ones who were feeling like they had to, or they needed to. But it was like the ones who came in and decided, you know, I, I'm going to lose these 20 pounds. I'm going to, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to, and it was a decision for them. It wasn't something they wanted to do. It wasn't something they thought they should do, but it was, a, it was a foregone conclusion that this is what I'm going to do. I'm just making this decision. Every single time they were always the ones who were the most successful. Talk to us about maybe the power of decision with people with their health and fitness and how impactful is that for them in succeeding and achieving their goals? Well, absolutely. And I, I talk about this every day in my messaging and, my uh, emails to my clients is that psychological aspect of fat loss, which very often many trainers or personal trainers neglect it. Now we look at fat loss from a purely mechanical perspective. It's, and this is in its most simplest terms, it's eat fewer calories and move your body more. That's fat loss. Okay. But if it was that easy, why do people, all around the world and obesity is getting worse and worse and worse. Why is that the case? Because the psychological aspect is extremely tough. You know, 
people use food as a crutch mentally, physically. Um, you know, it's the only drug, and I say it's a drug because people are addicted to it uh, on a certain level. It's the only drug where we have to give the addict a certain amount to survive. Think about that, like yeah. you know, alcohol, cocaine. It, you don't say to a heroin addict, well, just have one small shot in the morning just to get you through. Like, it's got to be cold turkey. But with food, we've got to give people enough food to have enough energy, but not to gain weight. So and very often people have got a lot of weight to lose, or even 20, 30 pounds. You know, their self-image tends to be poor. Maybe their self-esteem, their self-confidence, they tend to have a lot of self-limiting beliefs. Well. I've tried everything before, it didn't work, it's probably gonna fail again, so what's the point of me trying again? So that, the people that come into the program, they say, you know what, I'm gonna make a decision, I'm gonna do this, they've got their foot in the door, absolutely, they tend to get the more results, but if people are forced into it, as you said, they're like, I need to lose this weight, and it's a chore, they're very often gonna find failure because of maybe some of those self-limiting beliefs they've got, but I always tell people that, the, 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 the psychological aspect of what we're going to do in the coaching is probably 80%. The actual mechanical side, I can teach that to someone in half an hour. I can mm. show someone how to reduce their food, how to track their calories. So if it was that everyone goes, well, it can't be that easy. Physically, it is actually very easy. Mentally, it's extremely tough because, for, I mean, I could spend hours and hours just talking about that, that psychological aspect of fat loss. And it's, it's, I don't know if you saw a post, I put an absolute... It's gone semi-viral on LinkedIn. I put up a poll. I said, what, is, what do you think is the cause of obesity? And I had a, a laugh with it. I said, was it carbs? Was it sugar? Was it pizza? Just playing with it. And there's been over 10,000 comments. Wow. It's been seen by over 300,000 people. So I guess it's semi-viral. Uh, sorry, 10,000 votes, um, thousands of comments. It's literally been the biggest post I've ever had. And that polls are really doing very well on LinkedIn. Um, and I'm going to do a, uh, a LinkedIn live off the back of this. I'm going to collate the answers. And it's interesting. There's literally hundreds of people have thought it was sugar, which that isn't the problem. Uh, a lot of people have mentioned the psychological aspect. People very often they're tr they've had trauma as a child. Um, it's a huge multifaceted problem. It's not just a case of eat less food and exercise. Ultimately it is because if everyone did that, they would actually lose weight. But what stops people doing that? And that's that psychological aspect that many people don't really understand that, that well. It's tough for many people. What do you find, is there, are there some key, and, I, and let me preface this, so I was looking on the CDC website the other day and they were, I was looking at the mortality statistics and, and how many you know, losses of life they attributed to COVID this past year. And what was shocking was, is in the United States, COVID was not the, the biggest cause of death. It was number three. And number one was heart disease still at 700,000, which is almost double, or it was over double what they had attributed to COVID. And number two is cancer at almost 600,000. And I, and I asked that because one of the things I've been hearing people talk about is the COVID-15. You know, people have gained 15 pounds, 20 pounds, being at home, stress eating, isolating. And we've seen, you know, takeout orders way up, alcohol sales. I don't know yeah. what they were in, in UK, but here, exactly it's astronomical. Yeah. Exactly the same. So for people who are, who are realizing like, gosh, you know, that, that, so that was fine and good and all. I did what I did to go through that time. But now I realize I really need to start addressing my health and I need to start losing this weight and need to get back into it. 
What do you find are the key, is there some key mindset focuses those folks need to have when they start to dive into a, an exercise and nutrition program? The first thing that we have to look at, and if, just on a, an over sort of 30,000, you know, view, 30,000 foot view, we'd, people need to start tracking their calories. Ultimately, fat loss is calories in, calories out. Now, this is before we look at mindset and motivation and drive. We ultimately need to know what's, what's, what's coming in. Um, and most people, you know, I asked them the question in the very first week, do you know how many calories are in a gram of protein? And you know what, in three years of doing this particular program that I'm doing now online, only one person has actually said, actually, I know how many calories. That's almost like, like it's almost like asking um, a child, a five-year-old, do you know how much a dollar is worth? Of course, he doesn't have a clue. He or she oh. has no clue of the value of a dollar. Now, if I said to any adult, what's a dollar worth? We, we could explain it. It's worth, you know, it's a hundred cents. It can buy X amount. It, you know, I give it to you, you exchange for some, we know how much our currency is worth. So if you think about it, is it any wonder that people are overweight or obese? They've got no clue of the value of the things that they're eating every single day. Now, if you think about it, we know that Losing body fat is simple calories in, calories out, as in if you're burning more calories than you're taking in, you're going to lose body fat on some level. If you're taking in more than you burn, you're going to gain. So what most people have got, they've got this random figure of calories that they're taking in, eating and drinking, and they've got no value of that. They've got no, they don't know what that means. It could be a thousand, could be 3000, could be closer to 5000 for a lot of people. And then they go on this diet and someone at the office told them they need to cut carbs and it probably sounds good to cut fat and then bob at the office said cut coffee because coffee is not good for you either you know so they they've got this information and the internet and celebrities are largely to blame so they've got a load of fig a figure here and they just cut a load of it and what happens is they they might lose some weight if they go into a calorie deficit but they don't know how they did it they don't know why mm. they've got no sense behind what they've cut and they also have got no value of the exercise they don't know how many calories they're burning so no wonder people if they do lose weight if it was a success let's say they use 10 15 pounds when they come off that diet which means eating going back to what they were eating before which probably means adding carbohydrates back in because again they thought the diet meant cutting carbs. They put that weight on and then they go through it. Oh, it doesn't work. I've just put that weight back on. They don't understand. They don't understand that cutting carbs is not the answer. So the first thing to answer the question, we teach people the value of calories. We teach them how to track and how to construct a meal and, you know, why that, why protein and carbs and fat are all very important components of a healthy meal. And once they've got a grip of, actually, this is what I was eating before, and now this is what I'm eating now, then we can start to see some adjustments. If someone starts to lose weight in a couple of weeks, they know why they've lost weight, because they're actually tracking the numbers. Like I say to every client, if I said to you, Jesse, say you were my client, Jesse, I want you to save $10,000 as quickly as you can. The only caveat is, I'm not going to tell you any of the salary or money coming in or when it's coming in. And I'm not going to tell you when your bills, mortgage, car payments are going out. 
So, you, but you're going to try and save ten thousand dollars. How quickly could you do that? Be nearly impossible, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. You like five dollars could come in today, or five hundred, then nothing for three weeks, five thousand, then one dollar. Like, how would you be able to budget? You've literally got no idea what's coming in, no idea what's going out, and that's basically how people approach a diet. They're like, I'm going to cut some random macronutrient because someone told me I should reduce it. Do you see what I mean? Is yeah, no wonder yeah. people, that I always tell people to look at your calories like you would your budget. Everyone tracks their finances. And if you don't track your finances, unless you've got a stupid amount of money that you don't have to track, you know, if you've got millions, you don't have to track probably actually saying that a lot of people have got millions going to debt as well. But you know, the people that track, as you know, what gets measured, you get results in any area that you're not measuring tends to slip. And that's why people struggle with their weight. So on top of not only having the skill set, that's the skill set. So we can teach that in an hour. Then the mindset is the motivation, the drive, the triggers, the self-limiting beliefs. So it's a combination of this plus the skill set. Now, the skill set is easy. So that's where we would start. So to, again, to answer the question, we have to get people to understand how calories work. Because if you didn't know the value of a dollar, you wouldn't be able to save any money. Gav, we're running up on our time, and it's. I know we are. We could talk for a while. Yeah, sorry, yeah, we could talk for a while. I don't think we've even discussed the surface. But before, I want to be respectful of your time and everybody who's watching and listening. So, before I ask my final question, where's the best places for people to connect with you online? Probably there's a few options. First of all, you could, um, if they really like the idea of what I talk about, they could go and check out my book. That is the GHG method um, is on Amazon, or they could go to the ghgmethod.com. If they go to the ghgmethod.com, that, that will actually come through to me and they'll get a signature if that's any value. And I'll post personally post that to them. Probably the quickest way is Amazon. That's the one way or find me on LinkedIn. Gab Gillibrand on LinkedIn uh, or gabgillibrand.com is the website. But LinkedIn, I'm, I'm on there most days. All my content goes there and all my videos, all my interaction. Probably that is my biggest platform. It's probably the best place to find me. Very good. Last question, Gab. For, for the person who is who is looking at really taking a proactive approach on their health, how do, you, how do you advise people to set health goals? Do you go and encourage them to go in depth beyond just weight loss, fat loss? And I, and I say that because I remember folks would often come in and they would have these weight loss goals or they'd have an event goal. You know, I want to lose weight for a wedding or something like that. Yeah. But then when there, there was nothing beyond it, they would do exactly as you said, they would, they, they would end and then all of a sudden the weight starts to come back. So do you find that there's a, a type of meaningful goal that usually gets people to, to keep lose the weight and keep it off? Yeah, it's a great question. Happens all the time. And if anyone specifically comes in with an event goal, that can be trouble because you say they lose 30 pounds for their wedding. They take the foot off the gas and they go back and put the 30 pounds on because the wedding for, mo for some guys, but generally for most women, it could be the highlight of their, you know, the dress, they want to fit into it. Yes. So if anyone's got an event goal, I also tell them to set a secondary goal. Now, the, and that's usually around performance. So yeah, let's lose the 30 pounds for the wedding. But you've said that you probably want to lose another 30 pounds. Why don't we attach some sort of event to it? That could be, run a 5k or perform 
20 press-ups or five chin-ups or so they've got some sort of target okay there's the first goal i've achieved it but once that wedding's over and i'm back from the honeymoon i've got something else to go for the the best ones the, the ones that are life-changing tend to be when someone comes in with a health challenge because that health challenge isn't alleviated by losing 30 pounds you can't just i've lost 30 pounds and i'm suddenly going to be healthy avoiding potentially a degenerative disease you mentioned heart disease and cancer and we've got alzheimer's and parkinson's all these things that are typical diseases of old age which are not because they start in our 20s and 30s there's no end to that is there like once you've lost your 30 pounds you've got to try and keep that off so when someone's got like a health challenge goal it's a never-ending story okay there's the first hurdle but you're right in in week one I get them to say, what, what do you want to achieve in the next 12 weeks? But let's look at six, 12, 18-month goals, because that's when, as soon as you've hit that goal, we need to move on to the to the second one, to the final one. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good, great question. Love that. Everyone, boy, this is a fun one. You're going to want to rewatch and re-listen. Gav started us off with some incredible stories about his journey into being a distinguished male stripper and about how it, it <laughs> married well with his, his, his venture into TV on on blind date, which I, I still want to ask about how that all turned out afterwards. And then going into becoming the youth, the UK equivalent of Chippendale dancers and touring around the country and around Europe too, it sounds like, and going to festivals and concerts and being really treated like the, the Beatles of male stripping only to have that come to a time where it was time to transition and make that choice to go into the next career. And, and there's that keyword decision, the decision he makes, you know, so many of us were making decisions that are either helpful or harmful for our lives, helpful or harmful for our businesses, helpful and harmful for our, our health. If you find that something in your life is not working the way you want, trace it back to the decisions you made and you'll find that often you've made some sort of decision consciously or unconsciously that is attributing to the behaviors that are producing the results in that specific area of your life. And if you start to make new decisions in that area, you'll start to produce new results. We transitioned and started talking about health and fitness and really looking at what are the secrets to losing weight and identifying. I love the example of people, the value of, of a gram of protein compared to a value of a dollar. You know, it really is so true that we, we have an understanding of currency, but we don't necessarily equate nutrition as currency. We don't look at the calories we're consuming as currency consumption. And more so than that, depending on the volume of our calories, the, the level of withdrawals we're making into the bank account that is our health. And that becomes really problematic when we're looking at some sort of health and disease prevention as we go through life and looking at longevity and quality of life. We want to make more deposits than we do withdrawals. And oftentimes, if we don't understand the nutritional values, we're, we're really, really in a danger of going into overdraft land. Looking at talking about goal setting and what it means to set a goal and attach that where Gaff starts people off and he works with them for 12 weeks, but then he's also talking to them right away is once we get through this initial fat loss of 20 pounds in 12 weeks, let's look at beyond. What is six months? What is a year? What is 18 months? And it's so important that we approach any aspect of life with that where we, when we're approaching our health, we're approaching our relationships. Usually when we get married or we're going to a relationship, we don't say, oh, I want to be a good partner for 12 weeks and that's it or I want to have a good business for 12 weeks and that's it. There's, a, there's an innate value that comes in really prioritizing our health to the same level we prioritize other aspects of life to keep the momentum going, to keep us building, evolving and growing. And, and, I, and one last piece with the two is something that really struck me from Gab's stories is as he's out in his early days having fun and doing all these things, there's this constant acquisition of skill. 
you know, he was saying, he said often he, he was using his body, but then there was developing the mind and always the intention of using the mind later on. You know, sometimes human beings, I think we can get so complacent. We get to what's familiar and what's comfortable and that's it. And we, we forget that there's this constant opportunity for acquisition of skills and, and information, technology, whatever that is. It behooves us to cease that opportunity, to, to expand our horizons, to grow, to consume information, to consume those things that are going to nurture our soul, because we just might find that those may be the very seeds that one day we sow and they turn into the next decision in the next great chapter of our lives. Gav, thank you so much for sharing your fun, your wit, your expertise, your stories with us today. This was, this was a lot of fun. I learned a tremendous amount, and I deeply appreciate your time today. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, Jesse. Thank you. You bet, man. We'll see you next time, everybody, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to